You guys are very sweet, and uh, I appreciate you being here today, and I do appreciate, Pastor Sam, the opportunity once again to be with your folks. I uh, told the folks in the first service, man, I love this church. I love your pastor. I love what God does in in this place. And uh, so uh, there's probably some of you that weren't on the retreat, and uh, we missed you, but... uh, Please don't feel like uh, because of that, that today won't be for you. I I will probably reference a few things that we talked about at the retreat, but don't don't get mad at me about that, okay? Uh, Because whether you were there or not, I, I feel like there's probably something that the Lord could give to all of us today. And I'd like to, uh, ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, it's an incredible passage. Uh, I'm sure that it is uh, one that you've covered in discipleship. It is something that gets covered in discipleship too. It gets covered in Living Faith Bible Institute. And uh, in my estimation, can't be covered enough. Because this is the real nuts and bolts of how it is that we live out who God has called us to be. I I do not believe that there will be a believer anywhere on this planet that will actually become who God intends for them to be apart from the truth of Romans chapter 6. And so some of you young people that are here today, uh, make sure that you are listening as well because, man, this is a, a key passage of Scripture. At the end of chapter 5, you'll notice in verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Hallelujah. Amen? You know what? In Malawi, when you say hallelujah, that's like, come on, would it say amen? Hallelujah. All right. Okay. So that thinking is, well, how about that? You know, if, if God gets off on giving his grace, when we send it up, then man, let's send it up and let's let grace abound. And as he comes into chapter six and says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Hallelujah. (laughs) Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? And let me just mention right there that the baptism that he's talking about is not water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water, after coming to know Christ as your savior, get baptized. But that, this is not water baptism that he's talking about here. This is the baptism of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 and 13. It is a baptism that the spirit does. The moment we call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save us, spiritually what happens is we are immersed into. That's what the word baptism means. We are immersed into Christ's death and we die with him and we are immersed into his burial and we are buried with him and 
praise the Lord, we are immersed into his resurrection. And Colossians 2.12 tells us that the same power that God put into operation that raised Christ from the dead is the power that he put into operation when you and I were calling on the name of the Lord to save us and he raised us by the same power that raised Christ. Can somebody say amen to that? I mean, that is what salvation is, y'all. The power that raised Jesus from the dead took those of us who were dead in sins and he raised us by that same power. Okay, so that's the baptism that he's talking about, a spiritual baptism that saved us. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise... Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And Lord, we've read your word, and now I pray that as we just begin to compare scripture with scripture and we seek to let it unfold for itself, Lord, we pray that you will meet with us, that this will be a, a day of uh, practical learning, that we can implement the, the power of this passage into our lives so that we might be who it is that you've called us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I'd love to do in the next few minutes that we have together is to take the truth of Romans chapter six and use it to challenge every single one of us that are in this room that know Christ, to challenge us to go on a daily basis to two incredibly significant places. Now, at the retreat, we on Friday night, we talked about going to a place. Do you remember the place? And that place was what, y'all? Gethsemane. Okay, now today, I, I want to challenge you that based on the truth of Romans chapter 6, to go to two places every day for the rest of your life. I know that that's kind of crazy that maybe God could do something in this chapter today that would go with us the 
rest of our lives, I, I will tell you this, okay, I'm, I, I told the folks in the first service, I am a piece of work, y'all. I, I live in a body of flesh that has not yet been redeemed. I struggle like crazy, but I have found something incredible, incredible that has helped me through the years, based off of Romans chapter six, taking a journey to two places. And that first place, I'd like for you to just see if you could maybe go there with me right now. The, the, the first place is the cross. And could you just go there in your mind? Can you just walk up to that hill where you see the Lord Jesus Christ and that center cross and the two thieves on either side and the mob is, is yelling and chanting and you, the, the dust is coming up as the people are, are just milling through this, this area and you can smell the blood in the air and as you're taking all of it in and you see Christ on the cross, you, you recognize first and foremost that this is not the place that he deserves to be. This is the place that we deserve to be. What we're looking at is he who knew no sin becoming sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, if we can find our ways our way to that cross on a daily basis. You talk about something that will humble you. It's, in my estimation, it's impossible to come to the cross as it's revealed through the word of God and manifest pride in your life. But there's another place that I'd love to challenge you to go on a daily basis that is, is based off of the truth of Romans chapter six Okay, we've gone to this incredibly horrific place where it's impossible to manifest pride. But there's another place where it's impossible to manifest pride. And that's his throne. And the Bible tells us that we have been seated with him in heavenly places. It is the craziest reality in the world that here we are in Midtown, Kansas City, Missouri, USA, and yet at the same time that you are seated in this pew, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. And what the scripture says is now that we have been raised together, that we should seek the things which are in that realm. While we're walking down here, we are living in the reality of where we're seated and we're seeking the things that are here. And I want you to go with me right now and just recognize that though he died on that cross, this is the place where he deserves to be and as we see him on the throne and we hear the seraphim as they're crying holy 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 is the lord of hosts and like isaiah said man the the temple the columns in that thing are just shaking 
because of the holiness of the one that is seated on that throne and we see him seated and we're overwhelmed with the thought that this is where you deserve to be. That this is not where I deserve to be. Though I'm seated with you, I don't deserve to be in this place. And the reason that I'm talking about these two places is because one is representative of death, the cross. One is representative of life, the throne. And those are the two truths that Paul is, is, is laying out for us in Romans chapter six. The fact that I am dead, we are dead. We are crucified with Christ. And yet we are alive. We've experienced resurrection with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice in Romans chapter six that there are three key words that we need to get our heads wrapped around if we're really gonna understand what we just read in those first 13 verses. So will you work with me for just a minute and then we're gonna try to pull this together to get it really, really practical. But the practical aspects of the truth are always built on the doctrinal part. So work with me right now, okay? It's not gonna be crazy long, but work with me as we just highlight three key words from Romans chapter six that give us the essence of what he's trying to tell us about what it's gonna take for us to actually become who God made us the day that we got saved. Did you hear that? For us to become who he made us the day we got saved. Because positionally in Christ, man, we're already perfect. Now, anybody here think you're, the practice of your life, you're perfect? We got a long way to go in that. But if we're ever gonna walk away from this weekend and we're gonna live in the victory that some of us received at camp in the last several days and not do what maybe we've done in days gone by, get on a spiritual high, you know, at camp, and then, you know, we can ride that high for a week or two. And then we find ourselves back in it. I, I want to share with you something that I think is the key for us living in the victory that God gave to us this weekend. The first key word in Romans chapter six, and we see this one in verses three through 10, the key word is know, K-N-O-W. Would you look at the first word of verse three? The first word is the word know. The first word of verse six is knowing. The first word of verse nine is knowing. And the first thing that Paul shows us in this passage about how it is that we actually live out who God has called us to be, he's letting us know is that there is something, y'all, that we must know. 
the way that he says is we've got to get this thing nailed down. I, I want you to notice that he's saying, know this, okay? Don't be in the process of learning this. Get this. Know this. Don't take six months to try to get your head wrapped around it. This is something that we got to know. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing Paul? Are you hearing the Holy Spirit as he's saying, listen, there's some things, there's truths that we've got to know. And maybe one of the reasons that he puts such an emphasis on on knowing this is because what it is that he's telling us we need to know isn't actually the easiest thing to get our heads wrapped around. Because what he tells us that we need to know is actually an oxymoron. Do you know, I see some young people here, you may not know what an oxymoron is. Basically what it is, is two words or two concepts that by their very nature and meaning are a contradiction. They, They don't go together, okay? For example, plastic silverware. Okay, so if it's plastic, then it can't be silver, right? And if it's silver, it can't be plastic. It, it, it's just a weird combination of words, plastic, silverware. How about this one? Uh, governmental intelligence. <laughs> How do those go together? Um, country music. <laughs> You know, I mean, if it's music and it's sung like that, can you really call it music? Um, And the crazy thing is, is I kind of dig it, but I do think that's pretty funny. But now now listen, in, in that same vein, in the oxymoron that Paul tells us that we need to know, he, he, he tells us that we've got to nail down, here it comes, y'all, the fact that we are dead, and we got to nail down at the very same time the fact that we're alive. Do you hear the oxymoron in that? <laughs> Because if we're dead, how in the world could we possibly be alive? And if we're alive, how in the world could we possibly be dead? But however it is, the Holy Spirit lets us know in this passage that we better get it figured out. Because living the Christian life begins with knowing these two seemingly incongruent spiritual realities. And Paul explains in verses three through 10, as we talked about, that we have been baptized spiritually into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And he tells us, would you look at verse six? He tells us that our old man, that's not talking about our daddy, he's talking about the old me and the old you that we used to be before we experienced the glorious transformation of salvation. And notice that he says that our old man, what's the next word? Is crucified. So obviously if we're crucified, we're dead, right? And notice that 
The way that he words it is that it's a present tense reality. Our old man is crucified. It's not that the old man needs to be crucified. It's not that one day the old man will be crucified. What he says is the spiritual reality is that our old man is crucified. And Paul tells us at the beginning of verse six, verse six, that that's a spiritual reality that we've got to get our heads wrapped around so that we, we know that. And verse seven follows it saying, for he that is dead is freed from sin. And, and verse eight follows that same path saying, now, if we be dead, Okay, so that's the first truth that the Holy Spirit lets us know in this passage that we've got to know, and it's simply this. We are dead. Amen? And yet, at the same time, what he tells us is we've got to know that we're alive. Look at verse four with me. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. There's that we're dead thing again. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of what? Life. And there's the second thing that we've got to know, that we are alive. And we see it again in verse 5. He says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Which, by definition, resurrection means to bring to life. And what Paul tells us, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is that those two spiritual realities are truths that we've got to get nailed down. We've got to make sure that these two spiritual realities are something that we know. We know we are dead and we are alive. And so the first key word is the word know, K-N-O-W. But the next word is also very, very important and significant in this whole thing of us becoming who it is that God wants us to be. And are you working with me right now? Okay, work now. The next key word is the word reckon. And you see this word in verse 11. And the word reckon is an accounting term. And and the significance of the word is that, as we just saw in verses 3 through 10, from the standpoint of our position or our standing in Christ, listen, we are as dead as we will ever be. And we are as alive as we will ever be. Listen, through what Christ did, through his death, burial, and resurrection... Our death and our life is money in the bank. Okay, it's, it's, it's a, a, a reality. It's sitting in our spiritual account. It is a done deal. But now listen, for that 
money to be sitting in my account and for me not to know it, I'm, it's never really gonna make a difference in my life. If, if somebody this afternoon puts $500,000 into your checking account and you don't know that for the next 50 years, you will not be writing checks on it. But if you know that, you might be driving something different tomorrow. <laughs> or supporting a missionary on the field because you're so spiritual, okay? <laughs> but, but now listen, pl please get this. For the reality of what is in my account to actually make a difference, I've got to reckon what is in my account into my spiritual checkbook so I can start writing checks on it. Do you understand the analogy? Hello, do you? Okay, all three of you get that, okay. But, but the reckoning of that truth into my spiritual checkbook is based on my knowledge of what's in the account. So you see, the, 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 the reckoning is the, the spiritual experience that takes what is actually true spiritually in my life and makes it true practically so that I'm able to live according to what is true. And again, that's what he's describing in verse 11 when he says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. You see, that's that thing that we gotta know. But notice what he says, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead. What's that next word? Indeed, unto sin. In other words, what Paul is saying, it's already spiritually true. You're already dead unto sin, but now that spiritual reality needs to become a practical reality. And look at the rest of verse 11. We must not only reckon into our spiritual checkbook the, re the reality that we are dead indeed unto sin, but that we are also alive indeed unto God. And of course, the indeed aspect of this is so that we are really living, living our lives practically according to what is positionally true of my death and of my life. Okay, so that's this concept of reckoning. I know what's in my spiritual account, and I'm gonna reckon that into my spiritual checkbook so that I'm living my life according to what is true. But now listen, in order for that reckoning to actually happen, there's a third key word that needs to be added, and that is the word yield. Yield, and you see that word two times in verse 13. You see the third time down in verse 16, but would you pick up with me in verse 12? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. 
Okay, because we're already dead to sin. Now watch this. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Okay, work with me again. I want you to notice that he's talking here about us taking our members. And do you know what he's talking about? He's, he's actually talking about the members of these bodies that we live in, that Romans 8 is gonna let us know that our body has not yet received its redemption. Our soul and spirit has been gloriously transformed, but we still live in a body of flesh that has not received its redemption. And so listen, what the scripture lets us know is because we are still living in these bodies, something has to happen to them. And what he says in this passage is that we, we need to subject the members of our body to a spiritual exercise where the members of our body are yielded to God so that what is spiritually true of our bodies has been reckoned or reconciled practically so that I am indeed living in the reality of my death with Christ and my life with Christ. So we've got to know that we're dead and know that we're alive. We've got to get that, that knowledge into our spiritual accounts so that we're writing spiritual checks on what is true. But if it's ever gonna happen, we do have to yield our members, he says, as instruments of righteousness and not, not instruments unto sin. And would, would you just look in, in verse 13? It, it would appear to me that there's something that he's actually looking for us to do in the name of yielding our members. You know what I'm saying? It, it kind of sounds like a command. Colossians chapter three and verse five says, mortify therefore your members upon the earth. You know what, again, it kind of sounds like there's something we're supposed to be doing in the name of yielding and in the name of mortifying. Galatians chapter five and verse 24 says, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Really? When did you do that? When did I do that? Romans chapter 12 and verse one, which is gonna pick up on everything that he's just laid down in chapter six. He's talking here about yielding our members. Remember in chapter 12 and verse one, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here, there's the oxymoron again. It's alive, but it's dead. It's dead, but it's alive. Okay, 
But in the name of that, present your bodies a living sacrifice. I, I, I've, I've got it. I can flip real quick. Don't, don't let me lose you here. But over in Exodus chapter 34, just listen to this. As Moses was, was going to go get the Ten Commandments, would you listen to, and maybe those of you that are taking notes, jot down Exodus 34 verse 2. Would you listen to it? God told him, and be ready in the morning. And in the morning, it's going to be a big deal. And come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. Do you hear that? In the morning, I want you to come and I want you to present yourself to me. And my brothers and sisters, uh, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I I know it sounds crazy, but for the rest of your life, I'd love to ask you to present yourself to God on a daily basis. And first of all, come to the cross, okay? And do what he's told us to do here. Yield your members and present your body a living sacrifice. I don't know what that means. Okay. Obviously, he's not talking about something physical. This is something spiritual, and so it's going to happen through prayer. And so through prayer, we come tomorrow morning. We come together. I'll see you at the cross tomorrow. (laughs) We come to the cross recognizing that, again, this is the instrument of Christ's death that brought us life. Recognizing that what he now wants is it for to be the instrument of our death that brings him life. That's Second uh, Corinthians 4 and verse 10. Listen, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that, so that, the life also of Jesus might be made manifest through our body. He gave his life to give us life, and now we give our life to give him life through us. And so when we come to the cross tomorrow to yield our members, let's, let's actually do that. And, and so it would kind of go like this, okay? So the cross is, is here. And that cross is something that Christ said I'm to take up daily, isn't it? And his cross is to be my cross. And so I... I get on that cross and I extend my feet and my legs to receive the nails that will crucify the members of my feet and the members of my legs to him. And and you see, this part of my anatomy, these members represent my walk. 
And so we're coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I present to you my feet and my legs as they represent my walk because I know, Lord, that you have called me to walk by faith today. And you've called me to walk worthy of you unto all pleasing. You've called me to walk in the spirit and I know that if I'm in my flesh and my flesh is all alive, it can't happen. So I'm coming and I'm presenting my, my feet and my legs to receive the nails that will crucify my walk because Lord, today, man, I wanna go where you want me to go. And we lay ourselves back on the wood of that cross. We feel those splinters in our back. We extend our arms and our hands to receive the nails that will crucify our work. Everything that I've just talked about, our back and our torso and our arms and our hands, this is how we work. And and I come before the Lord on a daily basis to yield these members and I'm saying, Lord, I know that you've not called me to work for you. You've called me to die so that you can work through me. And so, Lord, I receive willingly the nails and Lord, not only do I wanna go where you want me to go, but Lord, today I wanna do what you want me to do. And we work up further into the members of our body, to our neck. Do you remember what was said of the children of Israel in the Old Testament? They were a stiff-necked. And so on a daily basis, we come and we yield our neck and we bow our head as it were on that cross to receive the crown of thorns and our neck represents our will. And, and we're saying, Lord, I, not my will, but thine be done today. And not only do I want to go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do, but Lord, I want to be who you've called me to be. And I can't do that if I'm exalting my will above your will. And as that crown of thorns is in our head, the blood begins to run down our face and it gets into our lips and it is dripping down into our ears. And so we're presenting our mouth and we're presenting our ears and we're saying, Lord, as my mouth and my ears represent my words, Lord, today, may I speak your words. Today, may I, with all of the voices that are out there, may I hear, above all of that, may I hear your words. May my mouth and my ears be crucified. May I not only go where you want me to go and do what you want me to do and be what you want me to be, but may I say what you want me to say. May I hear what you want me to hear. And the blood is also running into our eyes and so we're presenting the members of our body, these eyes, as they represent our wants. 
the things that we want in life, the, the, the lust of the eyes, and we're saying, oh Lord, these are not my eyes today, but may they be your eyes, may they be crucified eyes. May I see what you want me to see today. And then there's one other part of our anatomy, our brain. And this part of our anatomy represents our way, the whole direction of our life, our dreams, our goals, our aspirations. And we come and we present the member of our brain and we're saying, Lord, today, help me to think the way that you want me to think. May the course and direction of my life be according to your word because may this part of my anatomy be crucified. May it be dead indeed unto sin. And, and listen, do you understand what has just happened? By, by seeking to find a practical way to obey, how is it that we yield our members? How is it that we mortify our members? How is it that we present our bodies a living sacrifice? Do you understand that we have just covered the entire Christian life just through yielding our members? And my brothers and sisters, this is why I'm saying to you, we've been commanded to do this and could I just challenge you to begin tomorrow to go to that cross and make it your own and actually through prayer yield your members to the Lord and present your body a living sacrifice and like he told Moses and again not trying to be legalistic with it but present yourself come up to Mount Calvary in the morning before your flesh runs you ragged. And I'm just gonna touch the hem of this garment. The other place that we talked about going on a daily basis is the throne. And what we've been commanded to do once we're there is to seek the things which are above. And you know what? Last year at the all-church retreat, or maybe it was two years ago, we, we talked about the realities of what is there. And we saw that we are to seek the person of God because God wants us to love him. We're to seek the word of God that's settled there. We're to seek it because that's how we know God. We're to seek the throne because of what's happening there, worship. We're to seek to worship him and give him the glory that is due his name. And the family of God is there and we seek his family. And so we seek to minister to those that are in the family of God through our gifts. And we seek to minister the gospel to those he intends to be in his family so they can join us around the throne loving him, knowing him, worshiping him. And my brothers and sisters, we are dead, and so we need to yield our bodies as crucified.
we're alive. <laughs> and so we got to get to the throne and live in the reality of what is true of our resurrection and the fact that we have been raised together with him. And so tomorrow morning, I'll look for you at the cross. And tomorrow morning, I'll look for you at the throne.